So the very, very, very good news is that restaurants are on their way back. Four months of closed doors, bored chefs and worried restaurateurs, but the road to recovery starts on July the 4th. It also means a significant time for those who are yet to open their own place, which includes this week's guest who has seen the sights worldwide. But now this Devon girl has decided home is where the heart is. This is Source Material. Welcome along to the pod and this week we are talking to a chef who has combined gastronomy with globe trotting and cooked in some of the most beautiful places on the planet. So if you're currently dealing with a cancelled summer holiday, this might make you a little bit jealous. Hello, Harriet Mansell. Hi. <laughs> Hello. This, this has been one of the more obscure starts to a podcast ever because you're currently tucked up in the dark in a clothes closet for various reasons, aren't you? Uh, that is entirely accurate, yes. <laughs> after after delaying the, the recording of the podcast from morning to afternoon to pick up a kitten, you're now sort of tuck, tucked away. The wonders of modern technology, it'll all sound wonderful at the end, we hope. Well, yes, we, we can only hope. <laughs> Let's talk about, firstly, I mean, we, we are recording on a day where there's some good news for the restaurants and that they are going to be open again pretty soon, 4th of July, and it's been a, a tough time for everyone in the trade. But you yourself have, have been doing some, some good deeds, I guess it's, it's fair to say, during the, during the lockdown period. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, I mean, just locally, myself and a, and a few other chefs have been cooking for our local food bank and uh, school kids who'd normally receive meals yeah, through yeah. school who aren't getting them and are in need of meals uh, had started to be identified and we've been just packing away freezer meals and everything which get distributed within the local community which is pretty pretty nice and then um, we got involved with the big thank you lunch last last week for the local community in Dorchester run by one of the butchers oh an amazing butchers there called Brace of Butchers and um, and yeah so we've just been cooking every week and and it's been good because it's a you know uh, keeps you slightly more sane than perhaps if you were just tucked up at home. And I imagine not just keeping you sane, but very, very rewarding as well. Yeah, really rewarding. And actually watching it grow, uh, the numbers of meals that we're making, because the food bank initially wasn't designed to, to make freezer meals, they were just receiving donations and then distributing them. And then all of a sudden they had all these donations of commercial-sized tins of tomatoes and, um, I mean, hundreds of tins of piri-piri uh, tin sardines and whatnot, you know, things that people just weren't accepting. <laughs> uh, we, we kind of had to start, you know, turning them into cool stuff. So it has actually been, like, fun, kind of ready-steady cook style, you know. <laughs> what on earth do you do with piri-piri sardines? Well, actually, so it's... um. It's actually uh, Dominic Moldenhauer, he's the head chef at River Cottage, who I do it with. He uh, he actually took on the Piri Piri sardines. And, uh, he... So you washed your hands of that one? Yeah, I did, because I can't stand tin sardines. I adore, I adore tin mackerel and tin tuna, even though I know I shouldn't, you know, from a sustainability perspective. I do still have a weird soft spot for those things. But, um, yeah, Dom took them on and he... He made some fritters that were universally accepted by everyone who tasted them as being absolutely delicious. So, um, yeah, I think he's going <laughs> to flog the recipe <laughs> as part of the food bank. That is impressive. <laughs> I, t I tell you what, you know you're a good chef if you can do something decent with piri-piri sardines yeah. from a tin, don't you? They actually tasted great. <laughs> that is good going. So this this sort of thinking on the hoof and, and, and making the best of, of what you've got, I guess, is is pretty different from 
from what was a large part of your life. And we mentioned it at the top that, that globetrotting has been something you've done, but it's been as a chef on super yachts. So first of all, how do you get into becoming a chef on a super yacht? <laughs> I mean, there, there are a few different <laughs> routes, but for me, when I was, I always wanted to work on a boat for some weird reason. I don't know why. I, I think there's, I have a few sailors in my family and I just thought, hey, that's something I really want to do. So when I was quite young, um, I'd done a ski season when I was 20 years old. And then after the end of the ski season happened, the, uh, the chef that I was currently working with said, have you ever thought about working on a boat? And I said, yeah. And uh, I just got introduced to this quite wealthy, well, incredibly wealthy uh, guy <laughs> who lived in Golders Green in London. And um, he hired me as a kind of cook, stew, PA, just dog's body, basically on his... Uh, 88 foot motor yacht and I did a summer season for him and kind of got all my paperwork and um, it wasn't then until maybe I was 27 or 28 that I then went back to the yachts because I was aware of the industry so you know at the time that ran up to going back to the yachts I'd been cooking in other places and whatnot and then uh, I knew the industry was there and I knew it was incredibly well paid and it was tax free and that there were potential to earn good tips and you could travel the world and all this stuff and so I made a point of um, trying to get back into that that industry and I applied via an agent to um, a 60 meter motor yacht and I got accepted at the time as sous chef um, under a, a, a really good head chef who previously had a Michelin style restaurant in Winchester and so he kind of took me under his wing and showed me the ropes he'd been on boats for 10 years at the time so he he was an old hand so I just got shown what to do and then from then on I moved into um into soul chef uh gigs on yachts and just stayed in that industry for a few years because there are such good perks so so other than being on the water you said that obviously you've worked in in what people would I guess would consider proper kitchens or normal kitchens you know on on land what are there any huge differences between between being a, a chef on a super yacht and being a chef in in a normal Michelin star restaurant, for example? Yeah, there are massive differences. I mean, so my experience in 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 kitchens is is has been a bit of a mixed bag, and especially so my experience in Michelin and star kitchens doesn't amount to you know as much as a lot of other chefs. I I uh, I kind of only did a few short stints just to to pick up some of the experience there. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, moving into yachts, you just you're responsible for absolutely everything. The the daily kind of demands and whims of the super super wealthy people that are on there, and they're all from culturally very different backgrounds. And so, from a food perspective, you have to be quite diverse. And if you don't know something, you figure it out. So from a learning perspective, you're pushing yourself quite hard to to learn and then and these days there's actually a pretty strong community of yacht chefs available um by like social media instagram and stuff and so people kind of pull resources and share and 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 you have yeah you have to push yourself to learn a lot and then the the practical differences day to day are that you 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 get up whenever you need to get up it might be four or five or six in the morning to to start your baked goods and and everything for breakfast and then you've got to feed 15 or 
20 crew and then you've got to feed the guests and then you know it's it's just bam 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 throughout the day it's breakfast then lunch for crew lunch for guests and then it's afternoon tea um snacks for crew and then dinner for crew dinner for guests might be then canapes and then uh petit fours whatever maybe a tasting menu for the guests and then maybe they go ashore they come back they want food at two in the morning and and then you're there you're you're feeding them and if they change their mind and they're not having the dinner you've cooked for them then so be it that's gone to waste but then then if they actually change their mind again and say oh we're bringing 20 people back for a party you then cater for that so from a sleep perspective you're at their beck and call and then (laughs) (laughs) it goes on and on and then if you're on a sailing yacht like I I spent my last year on a sailing yacht for the Murdoch family and you know when 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 you're not cooking for them and when they're off the boat you're then having to perform day-to-day sailing boat duties such as being an active crew member and maybe doing a crossing I crossed uh, the Atlantic with that boat and so you know it's just it's not just all about the the chefing either (laughs) sorry rambled a bit there (laughs) no no that's absolutely fine we appreciate the rambling Um, (laughs) when you one thing you did mention there in that ramble was the, the demanding nature of the customers um i read on on your website one one particular um russian who was on board a boat who said very particular about how she likes her crew to taste 10 centimeters long 1.5 centimeters wide no more no less i mean that's uh exacting standards i think that's fair to say i mean there's there was it's exacting standards and then also the fact that she that particular uh guest was i don't know um not that not that occupied with her days she she didn't have <laughs> too many pressing concerns and so uh developed an obsession <laughs> with food which is helpful when you're the chef <laughs> they want crudités that uh are yeah are measured precisely and now was this an obsession with food without having any massive knowledge of food therefore making it more annoying for you when she kept badgering you about it <laughs> yeah basically this one particular guest this russian lady uh, she would kind of lose her shit if she um if she <laughs> basically if you had if you gave her the same food item twice in a day or even her four-year-old son for example if you gave him a sandwich with uh, cucumber in it as an ingredient and then cucumber featured later in, in another format she she would she would lose it Wow, she she sounds she sounds absolutely delightful to deal with. Um, there were obviously perks, though, as you mentioned. Where were sort of the best places you ended up as 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 part of being on a on a super yacht? The Seychelles. Uh, I joined a boat in the Seychelles, um, working for the Qatari royal family, and they were not on the board on board the boat that much. So snorkeling and scuba diving and all the things you might wish to do on a luxury holiday kind of where were there um also antigua and the caribbean that was really cool and and a lot of places in the med really you know spent time in croatia but i think predominantly the place i spent the most time is actually my favorite and that's the coast of italy um i just love italy really so uh but it's not you know from from most people's standards the most exotic or luxurious place but italy is amazing and i guess from all of that going to all of those sort of places that the seeing different flavors seeing different ways of cooking all that sort of stuff must be must be huge you must see so much just from going ashore and wandering around yeah no you're absolutely yeah everywhere you go you're taking in uh you're taking in what you're surrounded by you're seeing new cultures new places and everywhere you go of course as the chef you're provisioning so you're in a new food market or you're going to a restaurant or you know there's just something going on and then you you have so much exposure to new ingredients constantly and you're looking for new ingredients and and 
yeah, it really, really, really broadens your horizons. Uh, for me, it was invaluable uh, in terms of just the way I developed and formed my ideas thus far about food. So, so now when it comes to developing a dish, do, do you see it as though it can be like, oh, there's a little element that I can take from something I saw in Italy and this is a little bit of something I saw in, in Antigua once and try and get them onto the same plate and make it work? Yeah, maybe. Sometimes. I don't think I actively think of that way, but in the same sense, you know, everyone goes through life acquiring knowledge and information and taking on board little little things. I think it infiltrates, doesn't it? Everything you see forms how you look at something. So, yeah, yeah, every now and then, although it's not, not an active thing, but definitely, yes. Uh, um, and with a really chaotic answer. Uh, <laughs> it's all right. Don't worry about it. Um, <laughs> now we've spoken about the, the demanding customers and sort of having an eagle eye on you as part of working on on a super yacht. So I wanted to to take that theme and move it forward to to your experience on on the Great British Menu, your debut experience this year in twenty twenty. How did how did you find it? Yeah, <laughs> what a roller coaster! Even even just for being a regional a regional get kicked out twice in one week person <laughs> <laughs> yeah no it was wicked I, lo- I absolutely loved it I mean you know it has ups and downs because it's such an investment of your time and it's just such there's such a build up to it you know you don't really anticipate when you say oh yeah I'll take part in this you don't realise or appreciate how much work goes into it until all of a sudden you're in the thick of it and then all of a sudden you're in the recording studio and, and so on <laughs> Now I've got a question for you, Harriet. Do you, do you play poker? <laughs> uh, no. No. <laughs> I, I've got a sense that you you can realise why I asked that is because when I when I watch you on the Great British Menu, your facial expressions are fantastic, and you'd be a terrible <laughs> poker player because when something's gone wrong, you can see it in your face within a split second. You know you know when something's gone badly. Don't you? There was a couple of times on that show we thought. Uh oh, I've made I've made a bit of an error here. Yeah, you're like, ooh, <laughs> yeah. Did Did you find that that you you made a couple of errors which you thought were were purely down to to the environment and it all being a bit different and a bit new and a bit of a slightly different type of pressure? Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, a hundred percent. I mean, one thing I'd say to anyone who has never done anything like this or a tv competition or whatever anything or or whatever like myself pre doing the great British menu would sit and <laughs> yell things at the tv <laughs> screen and so on um is that you cannot you cannot appreciate the pressure and and actually what it feels like to go into a a, a hot studio surrounded by film crew and people scrutinizing your every move when you're not normally used to that and you know then there's all the kind of the film uh, the, the filming etiquette that you don't know about and then there's just the practicalities of it you know like if you re- need to get to your oven but the film crew are in the way or you know all that jazz or, or if you need to reach to get something from the oven and put it back in again then they might miss you doing that so they might ask you to do it again and it it's a real real time vortex when you're trying to prep food yeah because i think probably what what some people maybe don't know about tv is that sometimes when you see something and it looks like it's actually been filmed from five different angles it's not it's just one person doing the same thing five times again so that it's able to look quite good on tv and i imagine yeah when you when you've got an hour and a half to make a dish that can be quite annoying oh yeah i mean it took me by surprise i was Actually, they, they did change it slightly, the order. Um, I was first up in reality prepping my starter and had an hour and 15 minutes to do it. And, you know, 
the nerves I, I had a piece of paper in front of me which had my you know to-do list for for my mise en place and obviously what happened was I couldn't read it because it was blurry in my mind because <laughs> I was panicking so, so I was like what is next what do I have to do next but I can't read it so I'll just ignore it and then, <laughs> and then obviously <laughs> and then you know uh, I had Richard Corrigan as my judge and he's coming around he's like and what do you think of this la 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 and you're like uh uh and then you have to go back to cook it and I just met you know I messed up uh key elements during that process of kind of frazzlement um, but there's nothing you can do, is there? It's done. Absolutely, but, but I also food? I also think there is there is something very refreshing about about the way you approached it, and you know you see so many people every year with this this great sort of this bluster, and obviously sort of back themselves, and particularly maybe people who've been on two or three times before. And says, Richard says, "What do you think?" It's oh, I don't know about an eight or a nine, and you're all there that really <laughs> yeah. worried look on your face, being like, "I don't know, maybe a two, maybe a three, <laughs> possibly, possibly a three, three at a stretch." <laughs> But do you think? Do you think that you you when you watched it back, were you sort of happy with with, with how you came across? Do you think that's a, a decent interpretation of of who you are? Okay, so to answer your question, I very vaguely watched the first episode because I made a point of drinking quite a lot of wine beforehand. Um, so I caught snippets of it in a kind of, oh, cool uh, kind of way. And then the following day, I decided to actually watch it properly. Um, and I also did um, quite a joyful, well, no, horrifically joyful thing, uh, which is if you've never, again, <laughs> um, been on a TV cookery competition or anything, I was watching it at the same time as checking the live Twitter feed, which is um, mm. quite enjoyable. That's that's a, that's a gamble oh yeah tell me about it <laughs> tell me about it that is that is a gamble to um to check twitter whilst you're doing anything on the television how did how did you fare but it on was that? fun what were the what were the uh the potted oh. highlights of of your feedback on twitter <laughs> uh day one uh day one i think someone actually gave me like quite a backhanded compliment because they said oh she she effed up her starter but at least she's got nice eyes but I don't think that'll make her any happier <laughs> does it <laughs> um I was like uh yeah maybe slightly <laughs> slightly happier <laughs> no of course not <laughs> um and then on I think someone said what is Harriet even doing on this show she looks like she works in a cafe um <laughs> nice thanks very much for uh, that but day two people were a lot kinder and I think I had a, I had a bit of backing actually. They were like, Harriet, stop underscoring yourself and um, just like what's going on with the scoring and all that type of stuff. But you know, that's just uh, yeah, quite quite fun watching it on Twitter anyway unfold. Yeah, see, I've now got an image of you maybe next series when you you've maybe made a mess of sewing again and Richard Corrigan saying, "What would you give yourself?" He said, "Well, I'll give myself a three, but I've got nice eyes, so maybe a five. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I wonder how. I'll... I'll do in the future. You'd probably get oh, a, a, a sneering glare from from Corrigan or any of the other senior judges who who don't give a huge amount away. Um, would you do it again? It's a it's a tricky one because yes or no. Yes on yes, I would do it again. But when the time is right, when I'm prepared to do it, when I'm like confident enough to do it, to do it justice, and to know I can really take myself forward when I have enough time to put into it as well. So, for instance. If my restaurant goes through this year, that's quite a heavy investment of time, and I—that's my primary priority, really. So, um, I had such a good time doing the competition, though, and you know, if the timing was right, then, then yeah, sure. I just wouldn't know 
when that would be because everything is so up in the air right now. You're listening to Source Material, available from all major podcast providers. To get in touch, use the hashtag Source Material on social media. So on the Great British Menu, you're representing the Southwest region, which is where you're from. You were born in Sidmouth and, and you're now back there with the plan, as we sort of touched on, to, to open up your own place. Now, when you're sort of snorkeling in the Seychelles, is it always the plan one day to, to get back to, to England and, and, and do this sort of thing? OK, yeah, 100%. Uh, at some points along the way, I didn't know if it would be to come back to precisely where I grew up because of, of the, the natural kind of aversion you form to where you grow up when you're growing up. Um, you know, when I was 18 and left, I didn't want to come back here for sure because I didn't appreciate it. And then that was a growing feeling over the years that I was thinking, right, well, actually, those are my roots. That's what I love. And I missed it so much. So, yeah, it it, it was always the plan to come back. Um, and it was always the plan to open my own place as well. And everything I did along the way, for me, was quite calculated because I never wanted to... Well, there's two ways of going about it, um, and some people would, you know, completely frown at the way I've done it, um, but I kind of always knew I, what I, how I wanted to achieve what I wanted to achieve, which was I wanted to amass lots of different types of experience, essentially... You know, I guess I could be criticised for, you know, in that sense, becoming a jack of all trades or something. But I did. I wanted lots of different experiences because I know, you know, my um, the way I know the way I've worked over the years, which I would I wouldn't have been able to focus and stay in in a restaurant for for three or four years. That's not how I have worked. It, it would never have appealed to me. So I knew I needed to. Um, to just get lots of smaller, shorter, different experiences. It doesn't mean I didn't commit to anything because I did along the way. Of course, that's absolutely what you have to do. Um, but yeah, I wanted to travel and I wanted to see places uh, and then ultimately come back and settle. And I've been back now for a year and a half and um, I'm feeling very settled. You know, as I told you uh, when we first spoke before this interview, I got a kitten today. Yes, so. <laughs> that was a big moment. <laughs> yeah, crazy, hey? Um, so, so when you go into things then, before you come back and you, you talked about wanting to get life experiences, would you go into something with the mindset of, I'm doing this for six months or I'm doing this for a year and even if I really love it, I'm going to walk away from it to go and do something else? No, I went in, I guess I knew that probably I wasn't going to ever commit to a, uh, you know, a, a kind of really moving up the ranks in, in, a, in a typical kitchen brigade. I just... I don't. I think I d- I dabbled in the idea of it, but I knew it wasn't going to be what I wanted to do to get out of you know because food is different for everyone, right? You know, moving up a kitchen brigade for one chef is the right thing to do because you get the discipline and you get the perseverance and you like learn all the skills of that kitchen and and the mindset and so on. Uh, for me, I just um, I wanted to try out different places, you know. So I signed up for well, for like I did what, four months out at Noma, and then you know it was a it was an unpaid thing uh, it was an internship so then um i carried on in that vein in other places as well um and th- and then after that i needed to earn money because i knew i wouldn't be able to open up my own place it's it's either you decide you either need to gain a reputation for yourself and you know work up towards getting someone to financially back you or the way i thought about it was i just want to amass lots of different types of experience and you know when the time's right pull the money as well that i've saved which i knew i could do from working on the yachts to opening up 
something. So yeah, I guess some people would criticise me for that, but my passion is food. There is nothing else that exists, you know? And I guess you become a lot more self-taught the way that I've done it. You know, even though I, I went to culinary school and I have worked in Michelin kitchens and non-Michelin kitchens and, you know, all different types of cooking in, in the food realm. But yeah, um, yeah, I've, 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 yeah, I've just done it the way I've done it. But yeah, with the goal of opening my own place. Uh, and when it comes to, to those spells that you've had it in Michelin kitchens, was it a case that you, you didn't enjoy it? Or was it just a case you just always thought this is not ultimately going to be the thing that makes me the happiest? I just thought it's, yeah, probably not the thing that's going to make me happier. I enjoyed it so much when I worked in those kitchens because there's no way you could learn so much or expose yourself to so much in the way of techniques and how how a kitchen like that is run but yeah uh it just wasn't wasn't the route I was wanting to go down you know I knew I would move towards the yachts because they held the appeal of travel um and exposure to such a wider variety of ingredients and cultures and so I knew that that for me just was so exciting as an option rather than staying s static in one place in one kitchen with no daylight <laughs> it didn't seem appealing to me <laughs> it doesn't, you don't make it sound um, appealing no <laughs> but then you know we're all different and and i i wanted to travel so and you did and uh, and i made a good job of it and when it come came to, again to coming back you started off by by opening it up the place as a, as a pop-up restaurant was that a sort of a sort of litmus paper thing to sort of test it and see see if people were receptive to the idea see things you'd need to tweak when you opened up your own place yeah definitely uh it was a couple of years ago maybe three years ago now that i first spoke to my accountant with a business plan and i said i want to open a restaurant and she said to me don't be an idiot uh you know don't go and look for premises without trialing a concept and also you're talking about needing probably some more financial backing you won't get it you know at this current point in time she goes you need to test your concept test it and then figure out what you need to do after so yeah after i moved back to this area last um January, february whatever it was uh i immediately started looking for some premises in which to operate and i wasn't sure at the time what those premises were going to be or what they would look like or exactly where they would be i didn't plan to end up in lime regis but then a series of um things happened you know i created a website and i had a photo shoot done to try and you know move in that direction and the photographer said oh you need to contact Ali, who owns the pop-up kitchen in Lyme Regis. And then I met someone else, uh, a local mushroom farmer, who told me, you need to contact Ali at the pop-up kitchen in Lyme Regis. And I thought, oh, yeah, I really do. And she didn't respond to my um, calls initially because uh, she was pretty busy at the time, but I kept at it and then met her and looked at the space. And it was just a small but perfectly formed kind of rustic spot designed for people to do their pop-ups in and she had two girls who were running their kitchen operation on a friday and saturday evening kind of prime spot and then she had the rest of the week free so i said right i'll take on um well it, yeah it was supposed to be three days a week and end up being four days a week so um yeah i said i'll take that on for the next you know six months and we'll just see how it goes so yeah and then it was just great because you test your concept you refine your you know business and your website and how you portray yourself and you get a customer base and you kind of 
see what works, what doesn't work, and um, and yeah, uh, it was the best thing I did. And also, you know, then I had figures to to show um, when I applied for my bank loans and stuff earlier this year. <laughs> so yeah. Uh, and, and part of the concept is, for, from reading a little bit of blurb, it's. The cuisine is based around the seasons, local produce, and foraging. Did you? How much of the foraging aspect did you take from from your time at Noma? Because I know it's a, it's a big thing in in Scandinavian cookery, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, absolutely, shed loads. You know, like when. Uh, so I grew up with an awareness of wild foods. I think a lot of people do, um, like partly to do with yeah this weird weird primary school I went to. Um, you know, just, you're constantly out finding wild foods and everything. But then, yeah, Noma absolutely kind of confirmed that for me. I, I picked very strongly at the time picked Noma because of the f- wild foods. I didn't, it wasn't because they were the best restaurant in the world. Um, <laughs> although it obviously Helps, was, doesn't it? It looks but... good on the CV, doesn't it? Let's be honest. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so... Yeah, for, foraging is a big thing, but I, I tend to make less of a big, a big deal out of it these days because it is just something you do. I think when you live rurally, um, you just, you know, look at the what's available around you and it just is natural that you're going to use wild ingredients. Like there's, there's no way I could have gone back to work in a city or anything like that because, yeah, you just, you're, you're so less connected. And when it comes to looking looking at the ingredients around you, obviously it's massive for, for, for seafood. And we had Amy Ellis on one of the pods earlier earlier on this year and talking about how sometimes maybe it can be the easiest and simplest thing to do, which is to use the stuff around you. Some people will sort of overlook to try and be too clever, but actually using what you've got on your doorstep is is a very, very good idea. It obviously makes sense to use exactly what's around you from so many so many points of view um from a health perspective from a transportation perspective you know um it, it also provides a limitation and limitation often promotes creativity um if you have a fewer number of ingredients you might work a little bit harder to create something exciting out of them um i've always enjoyed having limitations um you kind of need well, for me, I've needed, I I struggled a little bit, not struggled, but one thing about working on the super yachts is that you essentially have access to anything you want and there's no budget. So you could get the finest caviar in all of the lands on your yacht in unlimited amounts. You could also get, you know, the best Wagyu steak and you could get all these other insane ingredients that, uh, you know, another chef could only ever dream of getting their hands on. I found that kind of, unlimited possibility a bit too much a bit overwhelming because where do you start whereas you know the way that I thrive and the way that I enjoy cooking is if you don't have that you have just what's available to you that day not only does it promote your creativity but you also you know that that food you've got in front of you is the best it is the freshest it can only have come from the place that you're in and you know then putting that on a plate and giving it to a customer where you know every part of the story of that item of food from the farmer who grew it or maybe you grew it yourself i'm just dabbling in that myself now and you you can actually provide that story to the person who's eating it it's such a different understanding it's just a lot more exciting 
to to then give to someone there's more to it rather than saying oh well actually we shipped in this product from japan uh, or russia and it's amazing it's the best in the world and it cost us x amount of money um, but it's not as special as that ingredient that you have on your doorstep or that you know grows in the field next to you that is only how it is for two days of the year if you have that understanding and that knowledge and you can access that ingredient and then give that to someone and tell them where it came from and why and how and know that you can cook it with the ingredients that it's supposed to go with I think that's a lot more special and also I think from from watching cooking shows and, and stuff like that there there is a a theme that sometimes one of the worst things you can do is get carried away and try and use too much and it to be too opulent and sometimes it's the, it's the dishes with four or five things which actually work the best rather than just chucking everything at the wall and, and hoping it all sort of marries together quite well yeah I definitely agree with less less is more and I think that's actually part of my evolution as a chef, I'm definitely moving in more of a direction of becoming even more kind of minimal, just focusing on the ingredients and allowing them to shine. I think that's a fairly typical mindset for a chef to have actually as they kind of develop because when you're younger, when you first start out, you want to throw things and perhaps gimmicks at a plate and make it look cool, but actually there's more to it than that. I mean, obviously everything has to look great, but there's a, there's a slightly different um, evolution of yeah, how you put things on a plate. Um, it's it's interesting to watch other chefs and how they progress and and everything as well. Um, but yeah, less less can be more definitely. And when it comes to the sort of other side of, of opening your own place, which is the the recruitment and getting all the nuts and bolts in and the design, is that something that you felt has come quite naturally to you? Well, yeah, yes and no. I mean, it's a lot. That's the thing. <laughs> a restaurant it's a crazy amount of work um so is so is running um so is running the pop-up kitchen last year it's a crazy amount of work you know i just i don't really i did anticipate how much work it would be but it is just non-stop it's constant and um yeah i think i think i was reasonably well prepared for it i mean i did some i did some earlier training along the way and so from the, the wine perspective that was um something that I didn't have to think too much about I mean because I loved it it's a part of my passion as well but um, other parts of just recruitment and admin and everything no I mean the accounting that was something that was a big big horrible area but I've slightly wrapped my head around it now because <laughs> you have to no no one likes doing accounting though do they unless you're an accountant <laughs> I don't think anyone's going to enjoy that part of the process um, we are nearly at the point where I let you escape your own closet and go and enjoy the, the sunshine outside. But before we go, just a few more quickfire questions to throw at you. The burning issues. So these are our burning issues, which we ask all of our chefs and all of our guests on the podcast. So we will start with this one. First thing I want from you is your ultimate th- three-course meal. <laughs> um easily pleased I think as long as it's fresh I just when okay I'm also influenced by the time of year that we're in at the moment but a tomato salad it's a like fresh tomato salad whether it's a caprese salad or it's just got a load of torn shredded herbs in it or some crab I don't know a tomato salad is perfect followed by I'm gonna just go straight up with pizza 
<laughs> Strong effort. A good pizza. A good pizza. What 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 are you having on your pizza? I don't mind. <laughs> no, not first. Anchovies. Oh, anchovies, no. capers, cheese. Where do you, where do you stand on where do you, st- where do you stand on pineapple on pizzas, Harriet? I'm. You can put what you want on a pizza. In in my opinion, <laughs> I mean, I I wouldn't. I wouldn't. Pineapple on a pizza can be so so wrong. It's right. Uh, <laughs> don't let the Italians hear me say that. It's not my choice of topping, no. but it's all right if you want to put it on. Crack on. And are you are you a sort of posh pizza girl that it you know comes you not do you turn your nose up at things like Domino's or Pizza Hut? Or are you okay with that? Yeah, yeah, I, do. I actually do turn my nose up. Okay, slightly, fair enough. I'm afraid. Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> like if I if I'd had you know enough if I'd had some drinks or something and I needed <laughs> something to eat in the middle of the night, I'd be fine. Um, no, but like a, a, a good like Napoli style pizza, that's that's where I'm at really. All right, that's what I'd like. Okay, well we, we can try and we can try and sort that out for you. Two courses down. What are you going for for dessert? Yeah, well, it's tricky because I don't, haven't got much of a sweet tooth and I've just had cheese for my main because normally I'd go for cheese, I reckon. But um, I'm quite partial to... Well, I just said pizza, so I should probably say tiramisu, but I do quite like a trifle, so... A trifle? That's very retro. Right, that... Yeah. Wow, well, yeah. Yeah, tiramis- tiramisu slash trifle. All right. Um, next question is your dream chef's table. So... You've got four spaces. One of them can go to another chef if you want, but it doesn't have to. If not, just four people, alive or dead, whatever you want, away you go. Um, I'm going to get Stephen King, <laughs> uh, Steven Spielberg. Or Steven. I'm going to get... <laughs> yeah, I'm going to get Mary Shelley... And I'm going to get Amanda Knox on board. Amanda Knox, that's a big call for the last place. That is interesting. Burning questions. You, yeah, exactly. We'll probably get a few wines in her and who knows what you'd find out by the end of the night. Also, regardless, she's been run through the mill and I would just quite like to cook for her, you know, on that side of things. That's very nice. Why not? Yeah. We're the same age, so she's yeah. pretty hard. 20s <laughs> yeah i mean it's, i think it's certainly more difficult than being on a super yacht on the seychelles that's for sure isn't it yeah and it could be quite a good bit of inspiration for for stephen king and spielberg you're, you're helping everyone out with this this dinner party Thank honestly you. everyone's well fed everyone's mm. looking after each other it's good um next up kitchen nightmares any particularly bad moments in a kitchen any dishes you've tried which were an absolute disaster I don't know if you watched the Great British Menu this year, but there was a <laughs> a, a cheese fondue <laughs> that split. I'm trying to I'm trying to recall it because honestly, it, was, it seems about eight years ago that that series was on, but it was only a couple of months. But it seems like so much, but so little has happened since then. Um, I know. Yeah. So I'd say I, I yeah I'd say I had a couple of kitchen nightmares myself uh, that were televised for the world to witness. Um, Oh, and the the rest of them probably all just to do with like Russians I've fed on board um, <laughs> yachts, to be honest with you. Not keen and on, I don't think on those were my fault. Not keen on wealthy Russians who have uh, particular thoughts about oh, crudos. Had some really lush Russians on yeah. board, but just had one family who slightly took the edge off. I I imagine it it's it must be difficult because that they they're just probably so used to just having this so much money and being able to do whatever they want with it that sometimes when you ask for something food based which is literally impossible 
with timings or ingredients and it's it's difficult to explain to them why that isn't possible yeah a, a funny thing about people with all the money in the world is that they want um they, they i think people they think that they want choice as in you know you've got all the money in the world so hypothetically they might think that oh, i could pick whatever ingredients i want but actually people don't really want choice they actually want to be told what's good um that's probably another reason why i enjoy having a restricted menu these days. <laughs> final question then is your golden nugget a piece of advice for home cooks can be big can be small but it just really enhances what people do when when they're cooking at home um taste everything if a recipe says to put her some coriander in it taste the coriander first because all coriander tastes different sometimes it's really strong sometimes it tastes of pretty much you know jack all um <laughs> depending on where you've picked it and the time of year and how it's been packaged um and, and taste taste more for seasoning and and actually trust i think trust yourself even if you're not a confident cook you know if you, if you stop to think about it for a minute you could probably work out that it might need a bit of seasoning whether that's a bit of saltiness or a bit of sweetness or a bit of sharpness and uh yeah Go from there. There we go. You are done. You are freed from the clothes closet, Harriet, to go and uh, to go and enjoy your life once more. Uh, let Let's finish in the style then of of the the Great British Menu. Uh, what would you give yourself out of ten for this performance? <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, like old Harriet, the one who enters the Great British Menu, might say to you, "I'd give myself a strong five out of ten. Um, but um, I'm going kind of. I'm going big now, so yeah. I'm scoring myself a, a six. <laughs> a, ma a massive six and a half. <laughs> 6.75 6.75 or maybe an 8 which, or maybe an 8 which when you which you would chuck on the you know the nice eyes on top of that you're probably up to a 9 9.5 aren't you I think we're all yeah I can do what I want erratic scoring whatever listen live the dream thanks very much it's been a great pleasure having you on you're very welcome Rob it's been a pleasure chatting excellent alright we're back with another episode next week bye for now